John chapter 3, it says, And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus then said unto him, How? So we have this interesting picture put in front of us and the Lord chooses this to kind of baptize the church into the idea of being born again here the, the, this great idea that's part of all of our lives that are saved here today uh, this is kind of the the seedbed of it it develops through the New Testament but it's with Nicodemus here in this scene and look today we hear things born again Christian born again yes born again Christians you know, thank God for their Grammy with the girl they're sleeping with. There's born-again Christians, movie stars, you know, sports guys using language. You know. No, no, look, born-again has a, a meaning and a weight to it, and that's why it's important for us to understand where it comes from the Scripture and what it says, because it's been cheapened, it's been farmed out, it, you know, kind of means anything today in so many ways. So this gives us a picture of the Lord's encounter with a man, and he, and he brings up the necessity of the new birth. Jesus said, come into the temple, overturn the tables of the money changers, cleanse the temple. The Jewish leadership is enraged with him. By chapter 5, they're planning how they can kill him. Um, at the end of chapter 2, it tells us this. It says in verse 23, now when... He was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day. Many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So how many of those he did through the week? We don't know. How many miracles? doesn't tell us. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. They believed in him. He didn't believe in them. And he needed not that any man should testify of man for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees. So it follows right on. There was no chapter break when John wrote this. So he says, Christ knew what was in man. Even anybody to tell him about man, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The, the, the plan of redemption was enacted before Adam was created. God knew of the fall of man. None of that was a surprise. And it says here of Christ... He's the word become flesh, and he doesn't trust himself to men because he knows what is in man. And then John says, and there was a man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and he introduces us to this man that comes to Jesus at night to question him. And then the Lord makes this statement to him about being born again. The Lord picks this individual on purpose for a number of reasons. And by the way, the way it's written to us, most scholars feel like 
This is an eyewitness account. Over in verse 22, it tells us how they went back to Galilee. Verse 23 tells us that Jesus was baptizing where John the Baptist. There are certain things in the chapter that only one of the apostles would have known. And the way the grammar is here, John must have been a witness to this encounter with Nicodemus at night. So he comes. He's a man. You, you take away all of his trappings, all of his credentials, everything. He's a man. There came a man, it says. First of all, we need to know that. A sinful, unsaved man, like the rest of us. He's dressed up a little fancier, but that's all he is. And he comes to Jesus, and it tells us he's a Pharisee. And it's emphatic, because Pharisees, b- before his name, he's a Pharisee tells us he's a ruler of the Jews. His name is Nicodemus. And you look over in chapter 3, verse 10, when Nicodemus is asking Jesus, he said, he said, are you, King James says, a teacher in Israel, and you don't understand these things. The Greek says, are you the teacher in Israel? And you don't understand. It's a definite article, and he singles out Nicodemus as the most notable teacher in the nation of Israel. Are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things. So the guy's got some cred. We look at him. He's a Pharisee, first of all, we're told here. Pharisees, Sadducees, the main parties. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spiritual life. Uh, They were hedonists. They embraced the first five books of Moses. They didn't really embrace anything beyond that. Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, were Sadducees. And then in contest with them continually are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were born out of, you know, wanting to preserve the scripture. As Israel came out of the Babylonian captivity, the Pharisees formed And they wanted to be orthodox. They wanted to hold on to the scripture. But as the centuries went by, if you're a medical person, you know what hardening of the arteries are. The Bible scholars say that the Pharisees got hardening of the categories. So, you know, with their feast and with their circumcision, with the laws about the Sabbath, they became so legalistic, they lost the heart of God's word And Jesus, when he deals with the Sadducees and Pharisees, doesn't hesitate to call them hypocrites. But now, not all Pharisees, as a party, they were hypocritical. Josephus tells us there were 6,000 Pharisees in Judea at this time. But not all of them are hypocrites. Nicodemus is one of those who was a Pharisee, who may have been hypocritical in some ways, but not deliberately who was genuinely thirsty for the truth this man so he's a pharisee then it tells us he's a ruler of the jews which means that he's a member of the sanhedrin Uh, israel as rome takes over israel 70 elders plus the high priest 71 altogether form and they have jurisdiction over the nation over judaism anywhere in the world the sanhedrin the most revered group in the center of all of this and then he's the teacher which means no doubt he is a a professor in the school of gamaliel if you wanted to study theology this was like the pope this is the guy you wanted to study with 
Nicodemus. He was the teacher in Israel. He was the most renowned teacher, no doubt, in his classroom. A young student named Saul had sat there. No doubt he probably knew Barnabas, who was a Levite at this point in time. Um, He probably was well uh, affiliated with Gamaliel himself. There are reasons that we believe that. So he is a ruler in Israel. He's very esteemed. And we have this character brought before us named Nicodemus. Now, he is brought before us in chapter 7 and verse 19 as well. The only place in the New Testament we hear about Nicodemus is from John. Um, And John writes, of course, when he's about 90 years old. uh, And he's able to say things about Nicodemus that maybe others didn't want to say earlier. The Talmud tells us about a Nicodemus in Jerusalem at this time that the Talmud calls Nicodemus Ben-Gurion, the son of Gurion, the brother of Josephus, the historian. And uh, you can go to some of the early church traditions says he was the brother of Josephus. If that's true, this Nicodemus was the third wealthiest man in Jerusalem. He was very wealthy. We know either way he was wealthy because in the 19th chapter he comes with Joseph of Arimathea to bury the body of Jesus and brings a hundred pounds of spices, which was fit for the burial of a king. And of course that's what it was, but very expensive. So he's, he's wealthy. Tradition tells us that Nicodemus Ben-Gurion, when his daughter was married, it was the most opulent wedding that Jerusalem had ever seen. And yet we're told within several decades, his daughter is seen scraping barley off the floor of a barn, impoverished. And tradition says that because Nicodemus became a believer, everything he had was taken away. His wealth was lost and that he went to live with Gamaliel. There is tradition that says Gamaliel was a believer. That's why in the book of Acts, when the Sanhedrin wants to deal with the disciples, Gamaliel says, look, if this is phony, if it's just baloney, we've seen this before, it's going to amount to nothing. You don't have to sweat it. But if, in fact, God is with them, you need to be careful because you're going to be found fighting against God. So Gamaliel has that very interesting position, I believe, probably because of his closeness to Nicodemus. In 415 AD, on August 3rd, the church excavating in a country house that supposedly belonged to Gamaliel found three crypts in the back in the backyard one was Gamaliel's crypt one was Stephen's crypt and the other one was Nicodemus's crypt so on the roman calendar august 3rd is saint nicodemus day saint nicodemus of kafir gamala saint nicodemus of the house of gamaliel and church tradition says gamaliel took care of him until he passed because with his association with Christ and the Christians, he lost everything. 
Uh, remember, the Sanhedrin is, in John is going to say anybody from this point on that has anything to do with Jesus is excommunicated from Judaism. Everything he has is lost. Well, this Nicodemus, if indeed that's him, in this scene comes face to face with Jesus. And his, his persona is sketched out very specifically. Look, Israel is the most privileged nation in the world. God says that in the law, in the books of Moses. He said, what other nation is there like you? You have my statutes. You have my word. You have my commandments. You have my ordinances. Here was a nation, unlike all of the pagan idolatrous nations around them, that believed in the true and living God, the one God. They had standards about morality, about marriage. Uh, They had standards about cleanliness and diet and fasting and the way to eat. They had feasts that they came together on. They understood capital punishment. There was a nation there, unlike any other nation. They were to be a priest of the other nations of the world. So you have this one nation set aside. Within that nation, at this point in time, Josephus says there are 22,000 rabbis. And of the Pharisees, there are 6,000 Pharisees at this present time. Many of them are priests. And then within the 6,000 Pharisees, which Nicodemus is a part of, you have the Sanhedrin. You have the 70 most esteemed religious leaders amongst the religious Jews, amongst the nation of the Jews, amongst the nations of the world. And then in the middle of that 70, you have the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus. He is wealthy. We see that by his gift. He is respected. He is the teacher in the nation of Israel. He is religious, and he is empty. He doesn't have what he needs, and he knows it comes to Jesus by night. Now look, this is going to tell us that this man, with all his religiosity, needed to be born again. I want you to listen. If you're online, you're here, you're Catholic, you need to be born again. You're Methodist or Baptist, you need to be born again. You're Muslim, you need to be born again. You come to Calvary Chapel, you need to be born again. You're Buddhist or Hindu, you need to be born again. You come and you sit here, and you come because your parents are Christians, you need to be born again. The scripture says flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. Your parents can't put you in their spiritual will. You can get the cuckoo clock, but you can't get born again from your parents, okay? So look in your Catholic Bible. The same text, is, the same verses are there. Look in whatever Bible you have at home. The same things are there. This is something Jesus said. It's in red letters here. He said, if you don't like it, argue with him. So he he singles out the Lord, this one individual, and he puts him in front of us. And it says, this man, understanding his need, it says that he came to Jesus by night. Now, did he come to Jesus by night because he was afraid? Some try to say that. But we are told in chapter 7 that when the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, were trying to figure out how 
to kill Jesus, to put him to death. Nicodemus says unto them, he that came, no, it says, he that came to Jesus by night, in all places where he's mentioned, that's said, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he's done? And they answered, said unto him, Art thou also from Galilee? Search the scriptures. No prophets come out of Galilee. Are you one of his disciples? And in chapter 19, Joseph uh, Nicodemus shows up with Joseph of Arimathea, and it says that he brought a mixture. It says, it says Nicodemus, which at first came at night, brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds in weight. So this man, each time he's mentioned, it's mentioned that he came at night. I don't believe he did that because he was afraid, because look, in the other two places, he's standing up for Christ at the cost of everything in his life. Some say, well, Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers, the whole religious establishment is angry at him, and this guy didn't want to come in the middle of the day and be said, no, no. Look, there, there was a tradition amongst the Hasidim, the Orthodox Jews, and they picked up certain verses. One of them is in Joshua chapter 1, uh, where it says there, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. In uh, Psalm 42, verse 8, it says there, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. So the Jews, the religious Jews, felt like the evening was the time for theological discourse. They thought that was a perfect time for learning. Nicodemus doesn't want to try to corner Christ during the day. The crowds are thronging. People are being healed. He's got, he's got some questions. He wants to sit with them. He wants to, you know, he wants to talk to them for an hour, two hours, three hours. So he comes at night. And as he comes, he ends up face to face with Jesus Christ. I don't know what that was like. We get some clue because he says to him, Rabbi, we know that you're sent from God because no man can do the miracles that you've done unless God is with him. Rabbi, teacher, listen. We have little understanding of what lines have to be crossed and what walls have to be broken down for the most respected teacher, this honored Sanhedrist, to come to a 30-year-old unschooled Galilean and call him rabbi. That was a word of respect. This ancient, this man with all of the cred and all of the credentials and all that, for him to come and look at this young man, 30, from Galilee and say, Rabbi, Master. We have little idea what that means. And what was it? You know, when he comes and finally he's face to face with Jesus, he had heard him in the temple courts. No doubt Saul had heard him. Barnabas had heard him. Gamaliel had heard him. He heard him there but was not close to him. He listened. He saw the miracles. You know, he, he had probably dialogue with his friends. It says, we know that you're sent from God. We know. Who's we? He probably had dialogue with Gamaliel. 
He probably saw Jesus overturn the tables of the money changers and said, it's about time somebody did this. Instead of this kid from Galilee, you know, you got to give it to him, you know. They watched the miracles. Did, did he say to Gamaliel or to Barnabas or to Saul? Did you see that crippled guy get up and walk? Did you see that blind guy receive his sight? Did you see that leper? Everyone was running away. He was cleansed. Did you see that? Because when he comes at night, he says, we know. So there's a group of them, no doubt, in dialogue and in discourse. And we don't know what he wanted to say. He's thinking about the kingdom, you know, like when you come face to face with someone that's very notable, there's kind of a nervousness sometimes. And you, you know, you try to, you're going to say something. And uh, he says, uh, Rabbi, uh, we know that you're uh, sent from God because nobody could do the miracles you're doing if God didn't send them. Jesus then says this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the only way a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In fact, over in verse 7, he says to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said you must be born again. So evidently Nicodemus is marveling at this challenge. You have to be born again. And it you know it reminds me if any of you guys remember Chuck Missler used to come here once in a while and, and share with us. Chuck, uh, you know, I was personal friends with him. He would just say, "Well, my IQ is over 187 somewhere, and I can think four 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 you know strains of thought at one time." Uh, he was the on the board of Pertec to Common Western Digital. He was head of the President's Consortium for the Gifted and Genius, advisor to the Fortune 500. Uh, head of the guided missile department for the Air Force, one of the vice presidents of Ford, the department of Philco that had the computers. Just He was one of those guys, worked with Edgar, Edward Teller on the Star Wars program. You know, just an interesting guy. Uh, and it was funny because he would share, and then afterwards we'd have a Q&A, and somebody would ask him a question. He would say, ah, he said, what you're trying to ask me is this, and then he would answer the question. You've been around somebody so smart, they help you understand what you're trying to ask first, because you're even confused there. And then they answer your question, hopefully, so you can understand. And, and I think that's what happens here. You know, he comes, he's face to face with the Lord. What, what, what were the eyes of Jesus like as he looked at him? What was her, his persona like? He had listened to his voice. He had watched him in the temple. He had seen him in anger, overturning the tables of the money changers. He had watched him healing the broken. He had seen him with the children. And all of a sudden, he's face to face with him. A rabbi, he calls him rabbi. This 30-year-old, the, the, the persona, you know, rabbi, rabbi. We know that you're sent from God. Nobody could do these miracles. Jesus said, friend, what you're trying to ask me about is the kingdom. I know it's in your heart. He says he knows all men. He said, truly, truly, verily, verily, 
You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Unless you're born again, you can't see it. That's, that's how he addresses him and talks to him. You have to be born again. Now, it's interesting because in Judaism in this day, when Nicodemus heard this, when a Gentile came to Judaism and became a proselyte of the gate, um, the Jews would tell them, because they came out of the Gentile world and they came to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that it was a new birth, that the past was gone, that they had a new beginning. And Jesus is saying that to the guy who understands it completely. He said, Nicodemus. Now, look, I love the fact that he picks Nicodemus. Where is the heart of Christ in this, you know? That's the important thing here. Of all the people that made profession of faith, of all the people that Christ impacted, John picks this one. Because here in this honored nation of all the nations of the world, in that group of 22,000 rabbis, and in that then smaller group of 6,000 Pharisees, and in that smaller group then of 70 of the most esteemed religious people in the world with the only truth there really was, there is this one man who is the teacher in Israel, and Jesus obliterates all of his credentials, everything he's got to brag about. You know, Paul said, hey, I, I was a, a Jew of the Jews of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. You know, Pharisee of the Pharisees. This guy could brag about that and more. And it all gets erased. It all gets obliterated. Jesus says, all of that don't mean anything. Nicodemus, you need a new birth. You were born once in the natural and by the way, so was I, and so were you, and, and we didn't have much to do with it. Two other people contributed. We weren't around when that happened. We didn't pick our parents before we came. And when we were born, at that point, we had no history. We only had future. But we were born into this world. We have capacity to relate to this world. Eyes, ears, taste, touch, smell our senses. Some of us have been better stewards over those things than others. Some end up strung out on drugs or, or contemplating suicide, involved in immorality. And some end up to be theological professors. They end up with all the credentials in the world. So when Jesus wants to pick someone to talk to us about being born again, he doesn't pick a prostitute. We'll hear about an immoral woman in the next chapter. He doesn't pick a druggie. He doesn't pick a murderer. He picks the most upright citizen in the most honored nation. He picks the most respected person there is. And he says to all of us, he don't cut it. All of his credentials don't mean anything. Now that's wonderful for us to look at because I want to say something. Look, what that says to us is don't be a Pharisee. And in a church this side, there are Pharisees. And you know Pharisees, they don't, you know, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't go out with the girls that do. You know, the, the Pharisees look down on other people and they judge them. Understand, my friend, your entrance into the kingdom of God was just as costly as a prostitute's entrance into the kingdom of God. You're no better and you have no right to look down on someone else. That's what we realize here with Nicodemus. All his credentials are stripped away in a, in a second. No glimmer of hope at all. 
The other side of that is if you are in sin, if you're listening on the app, you're on the radio, you're somewhere, or you're here today and you don't know Christ, your excuses are gone. You can't sit here and think, well, he don't want nothing to do with me. My life is so messed up. I live in sin. I'm immoral. You know, I understand he's good for you people, you religious people. He don't want nothing to do with me. Nicodemus takes all your excuses away. Because if you give the rest of your life trying to have the cred that he has, and you become recognized as the most scholarly religious person in the world, you still need to be born again to get in. That's why Jesus picks this guy. He takes everybody's excuses away. Here's the most honored guy in the world, religiously, the most accomplished, and he's got nothing. In regards to the supernatural birth, being born again is literally being born from above. He brings nothing. He makes no contribution. All of his credentials don't add up to anything. That's why Paul, when he bragged, said, I counted all of that as dung when it came to knowing Christ. No one here has the excuse. Look, Jesus, the heart of Jesus, he does this on purpose. To say to the druggie, to say to the sinner, to say to the murderer, to say to the compromised, you can't work your way into my presence. You can't earn your way in. You can't study your way in. You can't get in just because you have a reputation amongst other men. You need another birth. You were born with the equipment you needed to function in this world. But to see the kingdom of God, you need a whole other set of equipment to come, to enter the kingdom. You need to be able to see birth is the gate of life. It's how we begin. Wonderfully, look, when he says this, verse 4 says, Nicodemus said unto him, how? You should circle that. Nicodemus doesn't say, why? Who do you think you are, you punky kid from Galilee? You ain't even been to seminary. You know, you're 30 years old. You don't know nothing. You know who I am? I'm the greatest teacher in Israel. I got more cred than anybody. Here's all my stuff. I got papers. They're hung all over the wall. Who do you think you are? Why do I need it? He doesn't say why. Because in the face of Jesus, and being honest about his own emptiness, that's why he came. And Jesus said, you're not going to get in, Nicodemus. You're never going to see the kingdom unless you're born again. He doesn't say why. He says how. 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 I go back in my mother's womb and be born again. How. It tells us how sincere the man was talking to this 30-year-old. The look in Jesus' face, the tone of his voice, his persona, what he had done in the temple. He, 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 he can't, there's no wiggle room. He's looking at the love and the depth and the authority in front of him. How? How? Well, Nicodemus should have read chapter 1, then he would have known how. John told us there, 
you know, he was in the world, the world was made by him, the world knew him not, he came to his own, the Jews and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. So John says, this is how. You receive, you believe, and you become. You need to be born again. You're a Catholic, you need to be born again. You're a Catholic priest. You don't have the cred that Nick had. You need to be born again. You're sitting here in Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel ain't getting nobody into heaven. You need to be born again. Only Jesus is getting people into heaven. Whatever religious background you have, whatever faith, whatever religion, you know, you go to college, there's courses on world religions and so forth. Doesn't matter. What the, what the universalists are trying to say today is we're all on the same path. All paths lead to God. Yeah, they do the great white throne, but you don't want to be on those paths. Right? They try to make us all hunky-dory. I always see that license plate that says coexist. I think that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Forgive me. I don't mean to offend anybody here. You know, you want to see how that's working, turn the news on, okay? Um, he says you need this new birth. And John says, I've written these things so that you might believe Christ is the Son of God and believing you might have life. There was, I could have written about other miracles. Libraries of the world couldn't contain them. I have a point here. I'm demanding a verdict. And the way you do that is, number one, you receive. You're listening. You're here and you don't know Christ. You've got to receive this. Nicodemus came. He received it. Called him rabbi. Knew he had something that he didn't have. This young upstart from Galilee. You receive, then you believe. You're telling me that in all my mess, in all my sin, and you know what's in man, that I can come to you for forgiveness. And it says if you'll receive and if you'll believe, then you'll become. you got nothing to do with that becoming. That's a passive it's something that God does. You receive what you're hearing about Christ, and you believe, you approach him, but the new birth takes place through him. Then you become. You don't have, nothing, you don't have any more to do with your second birth than you did with your first birth. You need to be born into this other kingdom. You were born into an earthly kingdom. When you're born again, all of a sudden you have this capacity to see other things, to hear other things, to understand other things. Isn't it wonderful to be born again? You look at the news and you know, hey, our Savior's coming soon. People can think I'm crazy. Who cares? He's coming. That's a reality. I had realities, you know, born into this present world. I was overwhelmed with realities. Now I've been born into another world, and I'm overwhelmed with those authorities. They're laying in front of us. It's the blessed hope of the church. Aren't you glad you have those things? But the thing you have to realize is you, you know, you're in school, you have family, unsafe people around you. You can't be angry at them because they don't see what you see. They don't have the capacity. They have... They have this world capacity, first world capacity. They don't have second world capacity. If you're, if you're looking at a sunrise and it's beautiful and the guy next to you is blind and you say, look at that. And look at the colors. What do you think of that? And he's like, you don't slap him and say, what's wrong with you? How can you not appreciate this? He can't see it. He can't see it. 
You see things. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. So your friends, your classmates, your relatives that are even antagonistic, they need to be born again. They need a new birth. Forget about religion. Forget about Catholic, Calvary Chapel, Baptist. You and I are living in a world that is falling apart. You turn the news on, and again, we're in a bad science fiction movie, a B movie. It's sad. Everything's crazy. The inmates have taken over the asylum. It's crazy. Nobody's got any hope. You have the testimony of the new birth. You are a walking testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, you know, I'm this kind of Christian. Well, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm this. I'm, I'm the Catholic. I'm a, you know, Episcopalian. I'm a, yeah, I'm a Christian, uh, you know, uh, evangelical. I'm not one of those born-agains, but I'm, listen, there's only one kind of Christian on the planet and only one kind of Christian in all eternity. That's a born-again Christian. If you're not born again, you ain't a Christian. Sorry. You're not happy with that? Go to the Bible. The letters are in red. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. The most religious person in the world can't get into heaven unless they're born again. They got no more cred than the, than the harlot or the tax gatherer or the sinner. They got no more cred. Don't work your way there. Wherever you are now, if you don't know Jesus, bow your heart before him and say, Lord, I'm ready. I am ready. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But I'm ready for that new birth. I didn't contribute to the first one. I got nothing to contribute to the second one. Amen? Amen. You need to share it with your unsafe friends and relatives. Look, when the last one gets saved, we're out of here. So quit stalling. Get the job done, would you please? Let's stand together. Let's pray. And if you don't know Christ today, I'm going to ask, listen. you're never going to stand before God and say, I didn't know. Uh, Isn't this, here's on the film, isn't that a security camera? Isn't that a picture of you there on the John chapter 3, 1 to 3, you must be born again study? Right? You think we got security camera and, and technology here? You ain't seen nothing yet. Right? If you don't know Christ today, as we sing this last song, I'm going to ask you to come. If a friend brought you, they brought you because they love you. And they may say to you, come on, I'll go down with you. Let's go. And it's your day to be born again. It's your day. You receive, you believe, and then you become. That's his work, the supernatural part of it. You need only acknowledge and say, Lord, here I am. If this is all true, I need forgiveness. He does the rest. And you come the way you are. You don't get it together first. You ain't never going to get it. You ain't got it together all these years. What makes you think you got enough time left to get anything together? You come the way you are. Jesus says, no man can come unless my Father in heaven draws him. As we worship, you'll hear in your heart. If there's a drawing, something in your heart saying, you need to be saved. This is for you. You need to be saved. Jesus said, that's God Almighty in heaven. Couldn't There couldn't even be a drawing without my Father, he says in heaven. He says, then, if you're willing to acknowledge me before men, that's why we asked you to come and stand down here. He said, I'll acknowledge you before my Father and all of the angels in heaven. And I know, look, I know the tenses. I know theology. I know I know that's a lifelong process. But it begins at a point. It begins on a day, like the day Nicodemus had. It begins at a point. 
Let today be the day that you can look back and say, that's the day that I was born again, that I gave my heart to Christ.